Simmy, you you have an opening bit. I do. You uh you Are were you complaining sure? that I kept interrupting, so now I'm just going to sit back and you can do your bit. Go. Oh crap! I did. I don't have it up now. I've had my open. I've had it up every other time, and now you're not going to interrupt me. You did this on purpose, didn't you? You did this because yes. you knew I wouldn't be ready. <laughs> I... Well, I'm going to spite you, and I don't even have a bit now. <laughs> it's okay. I'll, I'll wait. So will I. An excellent counter strategy to uh, play on my <laughs> lack of any kind of patience or. You know. All right. Yep. I it's taking too long. Let's get on with you this. <laughs> so well. Oh, boy. But welcome to RPGX Radio. We are continuing talking about dice in game systems. I'm your host, Simi, here with my other host. Yes, you are. Go on. Continue. I. I will outweigh you every yeah. time. <laughs> <sighs> All right, fine. And I'm King Monkey. <laughs> and yeah, so that's the intro. <laughs> Congratulations, you made it this far. That's done. Moving on. <laughs> All right, I think our first bit normally is uh, Verb of the Week, right? It's a Verb's Random Verb of the Week. A wonder cure for the ages. For all your action needs. I'll make a note to old-timey up yours thing a little bit Just there. a little bit of, yeah, a little bit of <laughs> static and pop. Sure. Actually, uh, the transatlantic accent, or the mid-Atlantic accent is what it's called. Uh, I, I looked it up because I was curious where what that was supposed to be. Uh -huh. uh, so it's, it is, it, it's an old-time, as you say, uh, it's an old-time affectation, where basically people who are making media, radio and movies and early television in America, were trying to sound more hoity-toity. So that, but they <laughs> didn't want to sound fully British, but they wanted to sound elevated. So they basically came up with the, the, the mid-Atlantic accent. <laughs> so they would put that on uh, as a fake affectation to for all their all the broadcasts and all the movies. So that's where and that comes from. And it's been used so much that people just assume that's how it was done back yeah, then. Yeah, people think that's how they actually talked. <laughs> no, no. That's exclusively how they talked when they were making uh, radio shows and stuff like that. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Interesting. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's King Monkey's fact of whatever. <laughs> of, of the time period. <laughs> I remember when I looked up the YouTube video on that, my coworker and I just kept talking to each other in mid-Atlantic accents for the rest of the night. It's a good thing there was no one working with us because that would have been aggravating as hell yeah can you imagine working with you oh <laughs> i don't have to <laughs> i mean as in i don't have to work with me so i don't have to deal with it exactly it's it's you are so lucky yeah Oof. let's get on to our random verb because we've got That's... a good one mm. yeah i i'm i'm very impressed with today's this week's verb go for it your verb of the week is whale 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 uh, w-a-i-l obviously it's not obviously because from people W H A L E hunting is whales. not a verb. Yeah, like hunting whales, whaling. Yeah, that's that's right. whaling. That's not whale. You don't to say whale. I'm going to go whale. Well, I, I w -H -A -L -E. don't. W H A L E. I don't. No, because I'm not a. <laughs> I I don't whale. Um. <laughs> whale. Okay. Whale. W A I L. Whale. Okay. Uh, Edric the Bard wailed in agony as he got a splinter in his pinky finger partway through his set. I guess that's he failed his constitution save. That's, that is exactly I, why you have to maintain uh, your instruments. Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, that you're too lazy to. 
Well, I think it's because he's adventuring, right? And an adventuring bard, an adventuring bard is unfortunately going to occasionally be interrupted by uh, boulets or uh, you know ankegs while they're polishing their instrument, and they won't get to finish. And then next thing you know, they go to play, and boom, they get a. I, I need you to stop making excuses for this trash of a bard who can't even maintain <laughs> his entire identity in an instrument. That's Come it, on. eh? Yeah. This one, guitar is who I am. One spell does all the work you need. It's true, eh? Yeah. And and he's too lazy for that. So I'm just I'm just saying Yeah. All the evidence is right there. That's fair. I won't defend Edric. He's made some <laughs> questionable choices that I do not support. He is defenseless. Yeah. You don't not only do you not support them, you wouldn't have chosen them in his place. If you had choice the, the, the right here to choose for him, no. you wouldn't have gone this way with him. Very likely, no. For sure he would have <laughs> he would have played a slide whistle. And that's because it was all up to the dice. But up up transition. Dice. Because <laughs> that's, that's a... what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was spot. On. That was chef's kiss. That was well done. Well done. Oh, magnifique! <laughs> and so last time we talked about the D twenty and and mm. sort of how that has been used in Pathfinder and D anD D and lots of other game systems, but we mm. really just focused in on the D twenty and ultimately my issues with it, having listened to and read a lot more game systems since sure. I started playing. Yeah. And so I thought we'd continue that trend and maybe actually get to other game systems and talk there about There are other D- game systems. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. There Ooh. there are a few out there. A couple, sure. You have a couple to choose from when you want to play a new game. Mm-hmm. Just a couple, though. Yeah. The, <laughs> it's a handful of role-playing <laughs> yeah. games. I mean, if you really look, you might... Yeah, if you really, really look, you might find maybe 12, 13. Right, right. Uh. Definitely. It's definitely not an innumerable overwhelming no, sure. number of games in Absolutely existence. Absolutely not. No, no. With multiple no. versions of each separate game. Yeah. I definitely have don't listen to a podcast that reviews only bad games and they are mm. approaching 200 at this point. I'm definitely yeah, not at that point, okay? It's definitely not anything that exists. It's just For a sure. handful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to talk about the D10 D100 this week. Sure. The D10 And some of the yeah, yeah some of the games use it exclusively some of them use it mainly and and we'll talk about that but we're going to talk about it sort of under the context of the world of darkness and and i i see it was added new world of darkness in here as well i i don't know i don't know this system at all i've made a a character in it once for Mm -hmm. a vampire game maybe yeah that's the most common one so the first and most popular of their line i would say but it's by far not the only system. Like sure. we we talked at the beginning that most of Palladium uses the D100 system for skills. Yeah, and pa- it's, Palladium's it's... kind of like a it, it Palladium it actually reminds me a bit of second edition where it's swapping back and forth between D20s and D100s for mm. for everything. And and so that's a that's an instance where you you build up your skill percentage you are this likely to be good at a skill and I think early on you max out at like 35 to 45% without special things in there. And eventually, when you hit the mythical 13th level, you can be approaching 100% in some of those skills. Um, yeah, well, I mem- I've played a lot of Palladium games. Um, and it really is 
it really will depend on the build you take and what uh, education levels are available to them. So you can start with some very low skills, but if you if you have a high intelligence and a good education, your character can actually start with some pretty high skills. And then they're, they've all got a limit of 98, practically. Like, the number will keep going, but, you know, 99 and 100 will always be failures if you roll, because the idea is to roll lower than the, your target skill level. But they have a whole host of modifiers. All right, and, and one of the issues with something like that, it's, it's like we talked about last time, is mm-hmm. that always chance of failure. With a D100, though... It, that's mitigated just a bit, yeah, not as much as you might. Five, well, it's yeah. I don't even know if it works out to that because of the fact that unless you're using exactly a D hundred and a D ten to to spoof it, you're you're going to have a slightly higher chance of rolling a nine and a two in particular orders. I think just because you're rolling two dice rather than a hundred single hundred sided die, so it's not technically two percent, but I'm not willing to do the math and the effort to figure out exactly what the percentage is it's definitely not worth no it's not worth that time and effort no (laughs) exactly what are we supposed to be informed here come on (laughs) no way i came to to this discussion with opinions and not a whiff of facts right we opinions that we present as fact not researched facts that we present carefully and with open discussion of no 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 no. my feelings right my feelings Ultimately, uh, a D100 with a roll under isn't a horrible way to do it. You just have to make sure that the system scales it nicely for you. So that way, you're always at least better a majority of the time than someone who is a lower ability than you. When you hit some of those middling areas, it gets real hard to tell a difference between levels of expertise because there's just such a wide margin for error. And if the system, like in some of the palladium classes or systems or games uh, if it doesn't scale well or if it's not built to scale correctly you can actually have other classes better able to do what your core ability is and yeah. that is a yep. big no-no that's rifts <laughs> well that, that's that's a lot of the things that yeah. uh that the mega Dumbcast, another podcast covers mm-hmm. they read one page of palladium books each day and talk about the dumbest thing on the page and Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's it's how stupid, oh, this skill here is, or, or this rule here, but then over here it says it contradicts itself. And But yeah. anytime he builds something, he'll say, okay, well, this, this core class's conceit is doing this really well. But if we look at the numbers, they actually are horrible at it compared to this or this or this, which can do it much better yeah. and have their normal thing going, which is bad. <laughs> Yeah, I will say regardless of the dice that were used, Palladium did have a problem uh, in most of their games of uh, of uh, imbalance or... Uh, I mean, that's, that, that's never going to be specific to any dice system. There will be games where, especially in early editions, they'll have uh, imbalances that can be potentially game-breaking or disruptive. Uh, and in the case of Palladium games, as they go on and introduce more stuff, almost exclusively in Rifts, the game balance becomes even more wildly off-kilter. But I mean, using the D100 for the skills, uh, as presented in the the editions that I played, they were, it was fine. Like, I never ran into anyone with uh, major complaints. There are like a host of situational modifiers that you would throw on it. You know, if your character is distracted or if your character's uh, on, on drugs or something, or if they're if they have time to focus and concentrate, it's. But you end up with um, a whole 
index of potential modifiers that you can throw, you know? So it, it ends up being a whole mathematics kind of equation. Yeah, I will say I think I like the D% percent or D100 for that ability to be modified on the fly more readily. You, if you're using like a D10 or a D100 as your main die, you know, or, or not D100, D20 is what I meant to say. If you're using a D10 or D20 and you're just modifying on the fly, you can potentially give it so that the roll is hopefully just mitigating the penalty. Whereas a D percent, if you're starting at 80% and you're like, okay, well, yes, you're good at mechanics, but this is mm -hmm. alien mechanics and you've only seen it one other time. So I'm going to give you a 15% penalty. Sure. You went from 80 to 65 rather than from 20 to 10, which is a much more significant jump on a D20. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can do things in increments of 1% instead of 5, which it sounds minimal, but I mean, ask any player the difference between natural 20 and 19. It's really, it's only 5%, but it's it doesn't matter. So, right. I mean, being able to 19.8, you know, <laughs> that would make a big <laughs> difference, right? Yeah. So, so, there are definitely things I like about using a D100 or a D% percent over a D20, especially in skills. I like I like the percentage base of skills just because that is easily translatable into my head into how successful I normally am. Whereas if I have like a plus four on a skill, I have to do the work to figure out how good that is. Whereas if I'm a 50% on a skill, but I'm a 70% when it's specifically woodworking, let's say, then I know, okay, when it comes to using, you know, using tools, I 50% of the time I know what I'm doing because I've got this kind of smattering ability. But when it comes to using it for woodworking, I got that crap down. So it, it becomes very easy for me to translate it into ability and narrative yeah. uh, outcomes. Yeah, I mean, if you say someone has a 90% proficiency in a thing, that makes sense. You know, it kind of gives yeah. you an idea that they nine out of ten times they know what they're what they're doing, as opposed to a plus five, which it's a bit less. It doesn't give you the immediate overall picture. Like mm -hmm. if you say plus five, plus five, you still have to have a difficulty. Uh, whereas if I tell you ninety, then you you already get it. Like it's it's visual right there. You can see that this guy is good at what he does. Right, right, and it's much easier for for me as a player to look at and say, okay, this is my strong suit. This, this is my weak this suit. Is this is how good I am at this all the time. And circumstances can change that. Whereas if I look at a, you know, plus 10, I think, okay, that's good. Uh, but in this situation, it's not in that situation. It's not in that situation. It's not. And your, your DCs will fluctuate depending on various factors. Whereas my percentage of how good I am fluctuates instead. So I look at it and say, okay, how, what do I need to roll to climb that? Okay. It's a minus 20% penalty. I went from 80 to 60 Ooh, that's barely better than 50-50, so maybe I want to hold off. Whereas, oh, it's a minus four penalty. Uh, but what's my DC? And and normally in D20 systems, the general idea is to keep DCs away from the players and let them just kind of guess, so, you which know, we have talked about You're mentioning D20s, and I'm thinking about percentage, and it is making me think of second edition Dungeons & Dragons because that's where I started uh, most of my gaming. Um, and I'm realizing... Percentage was used exclusively for thieving skills hmm. and bards who had thief skills. So oh, it was yes, like it was. everything was D20s largely, uh, but then those two classes or classes with those abilities had additional percentage things that only they could do. 
So, I mean, it's kind of like this weird outlier. I mean, that's not even getting into the fact that their D20s in the first, in second edition, you had to roll high for attacks and low for skills. <laughs> what other systems? What other yep. systems? So, another system that uses the D100, D%, at least as far as I'm aware, is the Cthulhu system. I've, I've never personally played it. I've only heard it talked about. Have you about professionally played it? Played it? You haven't no. personally played it, but have you professionally played it? No. 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 Okay. No. All right. No. Oh, a little play on words. A jest on my side. Pause for scorn. No, I've not played it either. <laughs> <laughs> Please insert scorn.wave. <laughs> womp womp. From the uh, saddest but I, of I have heard mm-hmm. Legend of the Five Rings played on the One Shot podcast. They did a three episode thing arc, uh, and I think they used fourth edition rules. So it, it's recently switched from a D10 system to what's called the Genesis system, which is a really cool narrative-focused system okay. where you roll the dice and you have you, you see exactly how many successes and how many advantages you get in a roll. And then you're rolling against either either you're throwing a challenge dice, with, which mm-hmm. can throw in like failures or, or problems, or you're rolling against a set difficulty, which is a really cool system. I, I encourage people to check it out. I'm, maybe we'll talk about it in the fourth episode of this month, but uh, I've got to okay. decide what we're talking about for sure there because there's sure. so many things to pick from. We barely know what we're talking about now. Oh, sure. and yeah. and But L5R, okay. the fourth edition, used D10s, and they used a roll-and-keep system where they had a target number, and they would mm-hmm. try and basically build their pool of dice they could roll and things okay. that would give them keeps, and then they would roll pick out the best dice and try and hit that target number okay what's what's nice is kind of knowing the target number going in knowing if it's possible and then knowing if you need to spend skills to or whatever to get yourself a chance to get it or if it's not worth even trying okay so i it was yeah. an interesting take on it okay and and i really like, you, like that you system. add the totals of the of the dice thrown I believe so, yes. Okay. Because you, you, you would roll a certain number, mm-hmm. and you would be able to keep a certain number of the gotcha. pool. And then so unlike like a roll and add system. you add the total system. as in, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so other than something like, I believe, Shadowrun, again, I haven't played, where you roll a big pool of them, add them all up. or All of no, them, no, yeah. No, you're counting successes on that one, aren't you? Yeah. Which we'll talk is about. Is it? To, yeah, I'm pretty sure that okay. is. And yeah, so that's a whole other thing. But <laughs> there are systems I, yeah. where you are rolling a pool of dice and you mm-hmm. add to how many you're rolling and you add those up and that's a roll and add system. Whereas okay. fourth edition, to my understanding of Legend of the Five Rings, was a roll and keep where you're building your pool, but you're also building how much you are trying to keep at each time. And that okay. determined your upper limit. And then rolling a max on the die caused them to explode, which right. allows you to roll again, yeah, which yeah. is a very common thing among those kind of systems. Yes. Yeah. I'm playing with a, a similar system, a roll and keep system using D10s for the system I'm building, but it's a long process of, okay, where the target numbers need to be based on how how high I can let these pools grow, what things are limiting these pieces, how do I let them have flexibility. So it's it's very interesting to look at other systems that use this now, having gone through some of these, these thought process and be like, oh, man, they didn't really think about this, or oh, this is really well thought out. Mm-hmm. And in prepping for this series, I found a, I actually found a, a website where the guy is building an RPG and he's yeah. talking about how he settled on 
his systems. And I think I may have mentioned it last time where he listed all the different ways he has seen dice used. And it's very interesting. It's called the Living Myth RPG. Okay. He's got some interesting stuff in there where he did some research. He looked at probabilities and it it's very interesting. I went to it actually for prep for this, like I said, because I was like, I haven't played every system out there. What other things are out there? That's where I came up with the roll and add, your pooling, yeah. roll and keep, additive pools. I mean, butt ton of stuff out here. <laughs> you know, as as we talk about it, I'm it's for some reason is reminding me of a game called Dragon Raid, an RPG called Dragon Raid. Um, this was a Christian uh, fantasy role playing game that came out in the eighties. I'm going to assume it was basically a reaction to the Satanic Panic in D and D. I remember playing that game because uh, at that time I was involved in the church back home and uh, one of the guys knew that I played D&D and he wanted to introduce me to the game. I presume to save me, well, I'll leave that up to the, re- the, viewers, uh, the, v- the viewers of our podcast uh, uh, assessment to f- figure whether that worked or not. But it was, um, it was a weird system because you used star crystals and shadow stones a star crystal is a d10 it's named that because if you hold it up and point to point like if you hold it so one point is facing you uh, if you hold it up to the light if it's a transparent one it'll give you a five pointed star right uh and so all your heroes the twice born use d10s for their roles and all the all the evil creatures use shadow stones, which are d8s. Yeah, so everything you do is on a d10, and your everything your opponents do is on a d8. But the thing is, you have the same difficult, same types of difficulty numbers to achieve. So you can see, a, and a, a right baked into the system, there's an imbalance where you, as the hero, are deter- You the game is designed for you to win. The game is designed for you necessarily to be better than your opponents, so you can. Uh, righteously win. It was a weird system, and obviously it it wasn't a good system because any game where your success is pretty much presumed, you know, it's a presumptive success anytime you enter an, an encounter. Cast spells by reading cards. They give you cards with uh, bits of scripture that roughly uh, approximate spells, and it's like <laughs> I'm, I won't get into uh, theology or anything here on, on the podcast, but it was a system that used D10s and used them very poorly because it had an ideological message that it was trying to put through rather than trying to be a balanced game. Yeah, I, I so. actually, I remember you, you said it and I was, I, I know I'd heard the name before. Mm-hmm. And System Mastery, another podcast, apparently this is my plug every other podcast episode too. Which is funny because I didn't know there were other podcasts. I thought we were the only <laughs> one. No, we're just the best. That's it. <laughs> But but system Absolutely. mastery covered this this system, and I was like I remember I do remember bits of this. And when you said the the scripture thing, that's when it popped in. I was like, oh, that's right, I remember this. They had they had some very interesting things to say about it. I'm not gonna go any further than that. You you take what you want out of it. I found it a fun listen. They also tend to take a more comedic and right. exaggerated bent on their topics because that's their brand but nothing they really say is is wrong necessarily sure it's just kind of exaggerated slightly sometimes yeah but like i say it's just another system that uses d10s but i thought found it was funny that you as the hero use d10s your opponents use d8s but you still have to reach the same numbers and it's like well 
Okay. I mean, go me. <laughs> I guess, oh, I win again? Fantastic. <laughs> it's an interesting idea. Like, should should players be presumed to, to, to be winning, and then it's only extreme adversity or extreme bad luck that caused them to fail? Is that a more fun story for the players? If winning is pretty much expected you just may have to work at it a bit it's it's Um, an interesting thought yeah it is a good question because i think that would kind of boil down to the story being told right Um, like i would say if you're just doing like a dungeon crawl um if you're doing a tactical game where success is pretty much a guarantee there's not much fun in that because you're not challenging yourself whereas if you are specifically setting out to play a game where you are better than everyone else and you kind of have to deal with what that means you know from on a more metaphysical level or a metaphorical level then that would be interesting but that's a much more role playing heavy than role playing heavy right hmm. it, it's an interesting thought because i actually i actually went the other way with it in a, like okay. a dungeon crawl or like a, a investigative type game where you have to find the right path or find the right clues Mm-hmm. finding the clues to move you to the next step or finding a path to the next step is almost assured. Even if you fail your role, someone's right. going to come by and have a journal or someone's going to come by and ha- be able to be like, hey, uh, I found this over here. Did you yeah. check over here? And it becomes a, a GM kind of exercise in helping someone, mm-hmm. helping the players find the next step forward without, hey, look, here's the next clue that you just happened to miss. Although I would say if you've presupposed success, why even bother rolling? It might as well just be straight interactive storytelling. Ah, see, and that's that's where I think we are coming down differently because sure. I feel like I always assume the players are going to succeed. It's how they get to the end that is the interesting story. So if they miss the clues because they have bad rolls, then yeah. it's, okay, How do how do we guide them to the next step? They are going to be able to proceed forward, but how they do that is interesting rather than, okay, yeah, they definitely are going to find this clue. Then they're going to find this clue. Then they're going to find this clue. Okay. They're missing that middle clue. How do they get to this last clue? Right. How do they know it's there? Or how do they get to the final confrontation? And what does that look like since they're missing information now? I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I do approach it from the other side because I do presume going into it when I'm DMing that players failing is an option, but that doesn't necessarily to be need words are hard. It doesn't <laughs> necessarily need to mean that that is the end of the thing, because just as in media like movies, a character failing at a task doesn't mean the end of the adventure. So I kind of like the idea of them struggling to deal with failure. It's like, yes, you failed. You didn't get through the maze in time and that person died. And now how do you deal with that? So, I mean, yeah, I see what you're saying. I guess it really depends on the type of game you're playing and what the objective of the game itself is, like the objective of your playing it is. If it's to tell a story, if it's to solve a mystery, if it's the tactical exercise, because uh, we I remember we've mentioned before that there's no there's no one way to play a, a game, right? It's, right? it's a matter of what everyone's goals are to get out of it as players and and the storyteller. And I think I think that's something you definitely want to talk with your players about. Like, yeah, do you want failure to be part of what's going on, or do you want sort of to lean more towards? You guys are the heroic, destined people, so things are going to generally work out. 
you just may have consequences along the way. And I think that makes for an interesting change in, in your group. Because if you know your group, they, they want that visceral sense of, I could fail at any moment and die. That changes the way they play, as opposed to, I'm the big, I'm the, the BDH, I'm the, the big darn hero. hero. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Because then, then they can just have fun and relax and go through, and just fully play up the the sort of superheroic aspect of their character. I could, you no, know, I can see that. I can see it going either way. Well, I mean, at some, I guess to some extent, that's going to boil down to the tone of the game. You know, definitely. If you're playing Call of Cthulhu, <laughs> and you, and everything's pre, if everything's presupposed that you're going to succeed, it's going to be a weird game of Call of Cthulhu. Right. Yeah, because Call of Cthulhu, as far as I understand it, is presupposed that you're going to fail and Pretty die much. horribly every time. Whereas and all you're, you're doing playing, is dragging If you're playing it out. Legends of the Five Rings and you keep screwing up every step of the way, then it's like, I'm not really becoming the big hero that I thought I would be. I might as well <laughs> go back to being a, a stable hand. You know? <laughs> stable hand, the RPG. Is that out there? Let's work. I, I would put a pin on it that. Is. put a pin on I'm, that. I'm sure. I'm sure I it got is. Ideas. Internet check for me, please. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you're probably right. I mean, if someone <laughs> said, "Yeah, Stablehand, the RPG, it's on their third edition," I'd be like, I'm, third I mean, edition? I would assume it's at, got sure. like five I mean, or six. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't say otherwise. So Shadowrun has like seven, right? I mean, I don't Stablehand know. Stablehand has to have at least five. <laughs> I, I, I would. Is there a Stablehand expansion for the Shadowrun game where you can play? Uh, magical decking uh, stable hands, you know, so you can magically <laughs> tie into the ether to to program the self-feeding stalls for the horses. <laughs> Eli? <laughs> Eli, can you look into that for me? He doesn't listen to this. Curious. Why would he? Yeah. It's Marshmallow. Nice marshmallow, tell us. Marsh, is this, please. Is this a please. thing that, that is there? Tell us about <laughs> tell us about the state of of, of equestrian sports. And, Cybertech uh, equestrians yeah. <laughs> and hacking into the feeding system of the livestock. We this is these are the burning questions. Or Equ was it all, all people all the time? Well, I'm, you know what, being Shadowrun, I wouldn't be surprised if the horses are people, right? <laughs> They're just talking horses. <laughs> Ultimately, it's all Soylent Green. But mm. <laughs> But we're talking about the green. D10 and D100. <laughs> yeah. Trying to keep us on track. And so <laughs> I, I had said last week, and we're yeah. actually going to do it this week, that we're going to well, do it in the context of a game system. Okay. And since I haven't played many D10, D% systems, right. I have put it on King Monkey to talk to us about the <sighs> World of Darkness... He heavy, is actively running a werewolf is game. is the head that wears the crown. And so we're going to talk about the D10 in the sure. context of the World of Darkness World and Darkness. the werewolf game. Sure. So I've got some prompts there. Pick whatever you want. Sure. Start somewhere and just tell us about it. Well, if we're approaching this as a, a dice sort of uh, dice intensive podcast, let's talk about that. So the system for World of Darkness and it's remained consistent from what they called the old world of darkness to new world of darkness. Generally, you have a pool of D10s, and that's typically your attributes, which are your, your strength or your intelligence or your appearance, that kind of thing, plus a relevant ability, whether it's your drive or your investigation. You get the idea, right? Mm -hmm. So you take those two numbers, and that gives you how many D10s you roll. So let's say you have three strength and three brawl. So you're going to roll six uh, six dice. 
And this is done with dots, right? You have yeah. two dots in this, three dots in that. Right, yeah. Okay. And that indicates how many dice you roll. So you have a die, dice pool, and you roll it, and you have to get a target number. So it's pretty straightforward, uh, you know, kind of like you're trying to roll as many dice as you can and get as many successes as you can. If you have a specialty, then tens will explode, so you get to roll additional dice. If you roll ones, you it's a botch, so you cancel out successes. Oof, oof. So it is possible to botch a roll completely where you have more failures, or more botches than successes. Oh, so man. you can you can fail, or you can spectacularly fail, or you can succeed, or you can spectacularly succeed. So trying to meet your target number is one thing, but then the number of successes you get determines how well you do. So let's say you're trying to climb a wall and you get one success, we can figure you eventually manage to do it. If you get five successes, you know, you just scale up like Spider-Man. So so your target number here is the number you need to roll on a D10 or higher. Difficult, yeah, your difficulty. Okay, and the number of dice you're looking for, the, that number or higher on the dice, right? Just to make sure I'm following. The, the 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 difficulty the difficulty will be set by the storyteller. So let's okay. say it's a, let's keep it simple. Let's say it's a drive. You're in a high speed chase. Yep. So we're saying it's your dexterity plus drive. Okay. And um, so you're you're trying to pull off a risky maneuver like a last minute turn onto an off ramp from a highway. And your storyteller says we're going to say given the level of traffic and the speed, it's a difficulty of eight. Okay. So. You have a dexterity of two, but a drive of five, because you're really good at it. So you have seven dice. Mm-hmm. So you roll seven dice, and you're trying to get as many eights or higher as you can. Okay. Yep, that's and, what I was making sure. So your difficulty yeah. is always one to ten. Right. And then your dice pool is determined by your ability and your skill. Right. Plus any your specialty in a skill will determine if a ten explodes. Right. And then you're just comparing what you roll to the dice. And that's so, the number has to be either at or higher than the difficulty to yeah. be counted as a success. Okay. Right. So let's say you get one success in trying to get your high-speed uh, uh, maneuver off uh, into the off-ramp. Okay. Let's say you get one success. Story-wise, you can say you barely managed to do it, and there may be sort of a situational challenge that arises from that. Maybe you blew a tire, or maybe you clipped uh, another car, or maybe you grinded along the, uh, the, 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 the railing or something, right? Okay. Whereas if you roll, let's say, five successes or, or six successes, something just insane like that, you can say you just, not only did you manage to do it, but you managed to do it so well that you, so quickly that you made it more difficult for your tracker to follow you. Hmm. You know, basically it's a lot of it's left up to the storyteller to to improvise or to uh, extrapolate based on the circumstances what that means. Or let's say if you fail. You fail, you just didn't do it in time. But if you botched, like if you got more ones and you more ones than successes, then you not only failed, you screwed up royally. And now you've got to deal with maybe you rammed into the median or maybe you uh, Mm. caught the attention of a cop who's also driving along. So (laughs) it's a lot of it's a lot of it is left on the storyteller to decide what happens next or what the, what those dice mean. So when you're it, setting a difficulty, do you also mm-hmm. set a number of successes to be successful, or is it just as long as one die is successful and you have nothing that cancels it, you're successful, it just may not be with much margin? Yeah. Most of the time, it's just you need more successes than failures. Most okay. of the times, you just need a success or better. Okay. 
there are some rare situations where you require a number of successes. What am I thinking? Yeah, if it's like a, if someone's using a mind control power and you have to make, you know, maybe if you're, you have to like meet the number of successes that they made on their mind control role. You get oh, the so idea? Oh, so like an opposed role so there? I got, so I, I rolled well as the storyteller and I got four successes on a dominate roll against you and now your character needs to roll willpower so you need to make that many successes in order to succeed. Okay. Okay. So opposed rolls then your your yeah. your That's numbers when that would come into. are more based on how many successes you need opposed to the person who rolled against you. Yeah, it can be. Okay. Is that um, is that how combat works then? So we you talked <laughs> about driving which is skills based yeah. and that's very that seems very straightforward. Well, here's combat, the thing then. about World of Darkness, combat doesn't work. Okay. <laughs> Okay. I say that flippantly, but honestly, it is one of the weaknesses of the system. Okay. It is a system that works extremely well for almost every situation outside of combat. Hmm. You've got nine attributes divided among your uh, physical, social, and mental. And you've got, oh, typically something along the lines of 30 or 45 potential uh, abilities, like your your brawl, your intimidation, your melee that streetwise, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. So between those, between those uh, potential additives, and then you add your powers of d- different sorts, depending on what you're playing, you can figure out the permutations for almost any situation. When you get into combat, suddenly it it either becomes too simple, where I roll my attack, you roll your dodge, you try and get more successes than me, mm-hmm. then you attack me, and I try and dodge yours. Or you get into splitting dice pools, where let's say you've got melee four and dexterity four, and you're wielding a sword, so you've got eight dice. Now you want to divide that into three actions, so you've got three dice here, three dice there, and two dice there. And then you have to roll as many successes as you can with each one of those, And but you've only got dice pool of three or two, and then the other guy only has to... It, it, combat is painful in World of Darkness. That sounds painful. Yeah, painful for the players, not for the characters. I mean, it can be for the characters, but I mean, because it sounds like it sounds like every time you want to do something, it requires at least one other person to roll and oppose you in combat. In combat, that's fairly reasonable for most things. Yeah. On, on um, the one hand, I like that idea that everything is active. On the other mm-hmm. hand, I'm imagining how that would work at a table, and that sounds so slow. <laughs> it can be. So let's say you have eight dice in your in your attack pool, and you decide to be an idiot and divide that into eight separate attacks. <laughs> you can do that. Okay. So you can go all out with a very little chance of success. But then the person who, you know, the person has a chance to respond by every time you get a success, they can roll as many dice as they think they need to try and dodge that. That's a simple example. Um, now, later editions may have addressed this some, but from what I'm looking at, it all tends to be pretty either overly simplistic or needlessly complex with no happy medium for combat in World of Darkness. So here's a question then. You you said that if you have like a pool of eight dice for combat, you can divide those up on, into m- multiple attacks if you want, or I assume have them all as one attack. Does someone defending against you have a defense pool that they divide up, or can they use their entire pool every time? At least in the older systems, you would choose the lowest of your two pools. You have your attack pool and your defense pool, and the lowest of those is what you get. 
It's not great. Uh, yeah, so basically you would get to decide how many dice out of your pool you get to use in order to defend against each of those attacks. So okay. you roll your first attack, and then I get a chance to respond with a dodge. You, then you roll your second attack, I get a chance to roll. So if you get zero attack, if you get zero successes on an attack, I don't have to respond to that. It's not like I have automatically apportioned my defensive dice. Okay. So hmm. I can use them in a response. Hmm. That's interesting. One of the one of the systems that I'm eagerly anticipating the final rule set to come out is Orpheus Protocol. Yet another podcast I listened to. They they did their playtest through the podcast and they've been refining the rules as they go. And one of the neat things that they do is they say, Okay, this person has success, they have this much damage coming in, how are you going to apportion your resources? Because you can soak damage down and do various abilities. So you have to choose, but then more damage may be coming later, and you don't know. So you have to kind of decide that one of the players calls it knowing which buttons and knobs to twist and which levers to flip when, so that you don't burn yourself out, but you don't take too much to stop you. So it's kind of a similar thing there. In, in World of Darkness, it sounds like. It kind of is, yeah. Uh, and the other thing is World of Darkness can have some nasty surprises, too. I mean, the whole game is about nasty surprises. So let's say you're in combat and that sort of thing happens. But then it turns out the vampire you are fighting has celerity, which is fancy word for quickness. Suddenly, by burning a blood point, they get an additional attack, or they get to, so they get their dice pool again. Or, if, or if you're fighting a werewolf who can tap into their rage to do something similar. I think you know, my so. my vampire character had celerity, and I was like, "Wow, this is broken as all get out." I can use my, I can for one it, blood point, yeah. I can use my my dice pool on every attack rather than splitting it up. That's crazy. <laughs> it it kind of is, but I mean, if you think about it, a character with super speed in a fight that is a broken ability. You know, I know I know a lot of games try to balance it out, but frankly, it is not an ability that realistically would be balanced. Oh um, no, definitely not. Like if you're fighting limited. The, yeah. Oh well, they, they, I'm thinking of mutants to... and masterminds because I remember trying oh. to play that once, third <laughs> edition, and it's like you can move. My character could move it. Uh, I had like a very high super speed rating, and it was something crazy like uh, thousands of miles an hour, mm -hmm. which they say, but you have to slow it down in combat to, in order to have any chance of success. So it boils down to like plus whatever. And I was like, but really though? Because yeah. I'm thinking <laughs> if, I, if this character can move a thousand miles an hour, like you would just whip in and out of combat instantly without getting in range for any any longer than a fraction of a second. And you, you're already presuming that the character is somehow sturdy enough to withstand the rigors of moving at that speed. <laughs> so if they punch somebody, they're going to do a devastating amount of damage. Just sort of the physics of it, if you allow for super speed, you've kind of ended the fight right there. You know? Oh, yeah. I, it's one of those things that you have to really carefully consider when you try and use it in game. And initiative and iterative attacks are usually the places a lot of systems mess up. Because either they they do like what Palladium does, which is, well, everyone takes boxing. Everyone is a trained boxer for this upper limit because that gets them this number of extra attacks. Or everyone invests in this ability because it's the stat that determines this, 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 and this. I will say in that regard, I liked Palladium's uh, Ninjas, and, Ninjas and Super Spies game because there were like some 40-odd uh, martial arts to choose from in the base yeah. game and not all of them had the same number of attacks 
but many of them had stuff like automatic dodges or automatic parries. So maybe you would be able to defend well, but maybe you've only got a couple of attacks versus someone who has like eight attacks. So it's not necessarily balanced in the in that everyone has the same number of actions. So that was kind of a neat uh, neat little thing too. Yeah, there's there's a lot of in trying to design a game system. I've learned there's a lot of things that go into a game system that you have to think about, which is yeah, you know, sure. it's surprising. Who would th- think that this game system that has all these mechanics would be hard to design? Oh, it's a mystery. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, no wonder. 5e and and the microsystems out there have gotten so popular because you don't have to think that's right that's right 5e people you don't have to think you lazy bums well let's face it you spend (laughs) enough time thinking you have to think about what you're going to eat you have to think about how you're going to get to work you have to think about the tasks you have to think about what you're going to say to your significant other do you really want to spend time relaxing playing a game thinking about everything you have to do or do you just want to just relax. It's <laughs> all I want to do. All I want to do is sit down and think about all these complex rules and how I can twist them and use them <laughs> big, against other people. Are you a big <laughs> EVE Online player then? <laughs> no, I never got into EVE Online. <laughs> it's like, oh man, after a long day at work, nothing I like better than coming home and having a long night at work. <laughs> exactly. That's all I want. I want to leave my job and get down to work, okay? That's it. I want to stop looking at Excel spreadsheets. And, and look at EVE Online at spreadsheets. spreadsheets. <laughs> Unless you're Eli, in which you use Excel spreadsheets for everything. Yeah, he, he, leave he's it legitimate. He's, he's think, listening to us thinking, yeah, no, that sounds great. Sign me <laughs> up. <laughs> and I, I, can't, I can't throw stones here. I use Google Sheets for so much stuff. If I start thinking about things. I'm like, oh, let's, let's, let's see what this looks like here. And here's a pivot table. And uh, holy crap, I've just spent two hours on something that was like mm. a 10-minute yes or no decision. <laughs> pivot tables. <laughs> so tasty. Oh. Yeah, when you when you use a good pivot table, mm. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a so... satisfying experience. Oh, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah, World of Darkness. I I started playing with Vampire, which is pretty common because that was the first system they came up with, and I would say it's the most popular system they have. Yeah, um, if you talk about Vampire the Masquerade, mm. it's pretty well known. I didn't realize there was a whole series of systems until I started listening yeah. to System Mastery, and they covered what. Uh, Mage the Ascension and right. Prometheus the something. Not familiar Were- with that one. Werewolf the something. I mean, it's yeah. always they're all it's something always, the something. Yeah, it's always yeah noun the something, <laughs> noun the <Yeah>. nouning. <laughs> uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse was their second one. Mage the Ascension was the third. What was next? Changeling the Dreaming and then Wraith the. No one played it. As their fifth system. And then after that, they kind of came up with supplements for each or uh, variant settings for each. Vampire of the Dark Ages, Werewolf of the Wild West, which is one of my one of my favorites. Um, yeah, so, I mean, they it was, um, it was a pretty cool system. I, I The old World of Darkness was all, like, it was published pre-2000, and it's kind of set the year 2000 up as this major, major milestone year uh, for different reasons. The vampires were expecting the the ancient, uh, the uh, antediluvians to rise up and they would try and take over the world, uh, sort of the oldest of the vampires. Werewolves were expecting the apocalypse with the final battle against the worm, which was the primal entity of corruption which had gone mad and was basically trying to end the universe. Mages, they were expecting that everyone in 2000 was going to be the big year to get humanity to ascend to the next stage of evolution. Um, Changeling, who cares? 
and Wraith, no one played it, so no one knows what they were expecting in 2000. So the others, the other games were Hunter the Reckoning, Mummy the yeah. Resurrection. Which Demon, came out of... Uh, the Fallen. This, you know what, you're saying the ones that had like bigger core books, but there were also other ones that had one smaller Orpheus. core books. I don't know that, that one. That might be the one I was thinking of. Okay. But they also had things like uh, Demon Hunter X which was based on um, manga or anime where you could play demon hunters, either like modern organization that's dedicated to hunting demons, sort of men in black style, or the old school samurais living in the modern world fighting demons. You know, they had all kinds of little books uh, here and there, and they had their, they were pretty imbalanced in between each other. Like um, in the old world of darkness, a vampire... Like if a vampire of a certain generation tends to be a match for most vampires of that generation. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the older they get, which is a lower generation, the more powerful they get. But then you looked at werewolf, a vampire, a starting vampire is not a match for a starting werewolf. Like there was an obvious power disparity between the different games. Yes. You know, yes. Uh, I know a, that was true. A, a single werewolf is a match for a whole uh, coterie of vampires, a whole pack of vampires. But then you look at mage, a single mage wouldn't even concern themselves with a vampire because that's so far beneath them. Uh, Mage was wildly overpowered, even in itself. Like, you're dealing with people who can manipulate reality itself as long as reality itself doesn't slap back. So you couldn't have a party which has vampires and werewolves and mages together and expect that they all had comparable skill levels. That right. Kind of it's thing. sort of like in, in Palladium where you have your uh, SDC people and you have your MDC people. So you have your sta- people who are doing out standard damage and you have people who have mega damage capacity, which means standard damage isn't even hurting them. So you start, you get this kind of exponential increase in power between, between the uh, systems. Yeah, yeah. I did find the one I was thinking of. It's called Promethean the Created. It was part of the okay. New World of Darkness system. Yeah, you know, I stopped playing World of Darkness before New World of Darkness came out, which was basically a post-2000 when it turned out the world did not come to an end. <laughs> Who would have foreseen that? I did. Uh, at that point, they put more effort into balancing things out. So a starting vampire is roughly equal to a starting werewolf, is roughly equal to a starting mage. The other thing is they had some pretty... Like, Vampire is sort of the baseline game, the most popular, the most common. And they had a very detailed uh, setting. Like, obviously, it's our Earth, uh, ostensibly. But they had a detailed culture for the vampire clans, and as well as the organizations to which those clans began uh, belonged. So, I mean, they had a very comprehensive and well-thought-out story setting, uh, yes. which I found pretty engaging. And they, as the games went on, they had an evolving history and timeline for them werewolf which was my preferred game has a cosmology that is just absolute bonkers like it it's it's almost too much going on in the background when you're dealing (laughs) with the fact that werewolves can step between realms you know different layers of reality Hmm. um and it, it, it there's a lot there's a it's a much higher bar for entry and then mage sort of says oh werewolf has a high bar for entry Hold my yeah. beer. <laughs> Everything that you thought about that was crazy about werewolf, we're doubling down. So, 
Changeling was pretty straightforward. You got fairies living in the modern world trying to uh, escape banality, which is sort of this oppressive force that uh, counters their fairiness, making mm. them more normal. Wait, fairy or furry? Fairy. Okay, fairy. I, I'm pretty sure they had some furry <laughs> games. I mean, werewolf kind of counts as a furry game, but um, you know, with all the cut the mic, cut the mic. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was Wraith, which again, no one played. Right. There's a, it, there's presumably a setting. I know it's to deal with the Shadowlands. There's stuff going on in the world of the dead, which, as I'm older and it's set in the afterlife. Wiser now is probably a, probably got some cool details. Like more, I'm thinking more like Hellraisery or stuff like this, where you're dealing with a defined afterlife and uh, sort of ghosts moving in that. But ultimately, no one played it. Yeah, the the I look at it and I see the idea and I'm like, this is kind of cool. It's a cool then, idea. When you start getting into the mechanics of it, it starts falling apart because it's clearly designed so that the pieces all fit together, but they don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and all of these books require a lot of reading if, oh, yeah. unless you want to start basically homebrewing, you know. But that said, one, one of the best things about every World of Darkness book, the first thing they say in their mechanics setting is there's the golden rule. These are just guidelines. It right. specifically says in the book... Anything that is a barrier to enjoyment, discard it. And that includes mechanics, that includes settings. If you want to play your werewolf as a superhero, because they are essentially superheroic, do it. <laughs> They're saying, honestly, all of this is guidelines. So and it's so nice to see a game recognize that. That actually is an interesting thing that we may have to dedicate a whole series to. But just to, you, you clearly are in favor of that. And that is something, actually, that Pathfinder embraced. Like, hey... Here's all these rules. Use whatever you want. It all kind of works together however you want. And the the rule zero is do it for fun. I, I know, Zether, I know. Rule zero is the GM is always right. But ultimately, the real rule zero is do it so it ha you have fun doing it. Yeah, yeah. But does that give them carte blanche to then mess up, for lack of a better word, the rules that they put together. If, if you can just say, well, I, I said use whatever you like. If you don't like it, throw it out. No, it doesn't. It has to be a judicious application of disregard. Like, you have to be able to clearly state why it is you're uh, abandoning rules or modifying rules. And there has to be a certain level of, I want to say, fairness. Like, if you decide that in your world magic is rare uh, or difficult to cast, sure. But then if you're going to have players, you're saying players can be mages, but each time they cast a spell, they have to make a savings throw or suffer damage equal to the level of spell they cast. You have to recognize that some characters are going to be more greatly impacted by your rules. So you ha kind of have to look at it and you can't just gain say, you know, ah, no, we're not going to do that without looking into what it means when you're not going to do that. Right. Right. If you if you're going to allow something that your setting says is rare and there's lots of restrictions on it. If you're still going to allow it, you have to imagine someone is going to play that and imagine their play experience doing that because they're going to have a harder time than right. everybody else. And if that, and either you need to have a nice long talk with them about how that's going to look and open up dialogue before things even start so that they're warned beyond even just what you've already put out there that, Hey, this is a rough thing. 
you're choosing to do, I'm not going to stop you. I just want you to be very well informed so you don't get frustrated because you probably will go unconscious constantly if you play this character the way you might normally play a character like this. So, and again, it's not to say you can't, but you right. really need to stop and think about which rules you are modifying or ignoring for well, sure. Well, if you're gonna if you're gonna do something that limits a subset of the rules, you have to look at all the impacts and decide: okay, is it worth letting the players play this, or do I just say this isn't a player option now? Like maybe magic is limited, and so none of your players can be magic users. Maybe down the line they could acquire some sort of magical abilities if that's what you want, but maybe out the door they all need to be non-magic yeah but it's just a matter of taking the time imagining someone actually doing the limited thing and how their experience is going to be affected by it and deciding if that's worth putting out there as an option and then making sure the player understands that so maybe maybe they maybe dms do have carte blanche in choosing which rules to pick and uh, to ignore and whatnot but they have to do so with some degree of foresight and have we named this podcast clear communication yet because you're (laughs) going to have to specifically indicate to the players what you're doing what the purpose behind it is and what are going to be the ramifications of it right (laughs) definitely definitely and this is all totally within the scope of our d10 conversation on world of darkness (laughs) yes specifically was that not clear i'm just sitting here realizing wow we are Nowhere it's near the slightly topic. Deviated. But I feel like I feel like this is exactly what I wanted from these though, to use sure. dice stepping, yeah, as a stepping stone into other things. Because what we're talking about relates directly back to the world of darkness. It yeah, it translates further out. But sure. this is exactly what we should be talking about, I think. Can I tell you one thing I liked about World of Darkness, which wasn't specifically related to the D tenness of it? Okay, uh, but one ex- thing only. Oh, sorry. Yeah, okay. Experience. Perfect. The way Moving they on. use the way they use experience, <laughs> they don't have standard l- traditional leveling. Basically, you earn experience points. It tends to mm-hmm. be a very small number, but then you spend your experience points to boost up attributes, abilities, powers, what have you. Okay. Kind of like the old uh karma system in the Marvel role-playing games back in the 80s. You experience is a resource that you spend to increase things which i kind of like rather than traditionally you know you've got 300 guess what you're level two it's now you've got you've saved up nine experience and now you can choose i'm going to boost this and i'm going to boost that it's much more modular you know do you get basically the same amount of experience for each encounter or does that vary Mm -mm, pretty mm -mm. widely no you don't get it per encounter Uh, typically you get something along the lines of one experience point per session one experience point per uh, chapter of the game complete. One experience point per s- completed thing. One experience point if you demonstrated exceptional role play skills or something like that. Hmm. So it's not per combat. Uh, it, it so it skews away from focusing on combat. Well, and that's um, also why I said encounter because that can be a social encounter as well. That's true. Yeah. La di da. So, yeah, it does skew away from combat, and it's no, it's not con- specifically consistent in that if you deal with this type of character, you get that much experience. It's more along the lines of you're going to get one per session, that kind of thing. You're getting hmm. an extra one if you did something exceptional. Okay. Uh, so then you, but it only costs like, I don't know, 
two to between two and six dots or something or two and seven uh, points to it to increase a typical attribute depending on where it's sitting right so it's not okay. like you need hundreds so that um, yeah that was going to be my next question is yeah every time you gain experience do you gain enough to increase something and and how does that work so like if i have to wait seven sessions to increase mm-hmm. one attribute that could be a lot especially if you're playing longer yeah. sessions yeah but... uh, I, I i'm not i'm not fully uh i don't fully remember what they were but it's something along the lines of you know for an ability it's two times your current rating or an attribute it's like five times your current rating mm. so mm. let's say you've got yeah so it can cost quite a lot to boost high level skills but your low level skills are fairly cheap to to increase hmm Okay. I mean, the specifics of it can be a little bit dodgy, but I like the idea of experience being something you can spend to increase something rather than a simple milestone where everybody gets this, boom, everybody moves on to the next stage. And your next stage means this, period. This is specifically what you get. Your fifth level fighter, you get an extra attack and then you get this. Whereas this, you can decide, maybe I've been studying cooking in my off time and now I'm going to add a dot of whatever uh, relevant ability that is, you know? Yeah, I I definitely like the idea of experience being something more fluid in the way you can use it. Rather than just, once you hit X milestone, you go here. Mm -hmm. In the system that I'm working on, I've continuously played around with various different ideas, but I think I'm going to ditch levels in anything other than a milestone type format, where instead of, the DM keeping track of, okay, you've hit this many encounters. Okay. You're now at this milestone. Like they can decide, okay, Mm -hmm. you're going to start at this level equivalent and you're going to stay there the whole game, but you're going to have experience to spend on getting new lessons or different abilities that you can then customize yourself with. Yeah. I think I like customizing though. Customizing is such a cool aspect because it makes your character more uniquely yours, you know? Definitely. And it it also makes it, gives you the ability to then, react to the world as you play yeah. and that's that's definitely something i want to play with in yeah. in after encounters you, you get like a tick in okay i got hit a lot so i'm i get a tick in my attack track mm-hmm. and when you hit a certain point you gain a new lesson that you can learn about yeah. attack or that you've gotten from your most recent one but mm-hmm. you use your quote-unquote level as more of a this is the benchmark of how powerful you are compared to the rest of the world and so it yeah. just kind of if it needs to go up, it goes up based on the story needs instead of, okay, well, now you've been out and about enough, you're, you're next level. Okay, now you've done it again, next level. It's, yeah. okay, you, you have now come up against a, a truly heroic foe, and they are pushing you beyond your, your limits. You are now the next rank up, and you know you, you find that well of strength within you, and it brings that out of you. Yeah. And I think yeah. I think using big leaps of power, which is what I kind of think levels should be, mm-hmm. as more of a narrative tool, yeah. ultimately will be better, and let them kind of customize their character. You know in what? The interim. It sounds to me like you're talking about the Elder Scrolls. Because I'm thinking <laughs> back to Morrowind and Oblivion, where uh, especially Morrowind. The more you use an ability, the more that goes up. And once you reach a certain level in that ability, or the number of abilities you've increased, then you go up a level. <laughs> that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've thought about, like, okay, maybe it should just be every certain number of counters, depending mm-hmm. on how big your group is. And so you kind of, you tick one box if there's a group of four, you tick a box, two boxes if there's only a group of two, 
for the same encounter. And I'm like, but I, I just don't like the idea of, okay, your levels are 1 to 20, and when you hit 20, you're done. Unless we use this extra set of rules that may or may not actually be balanced to work. So, good luck. I I like, I do, and I say I don't like it, but I, I guess I mean I don't like it for the system that I as I envision it. I enjoy those games because they're very clearly, yeah, for sure. I hit this point, I am this amount of powerful, I can tackle these type of creatures, but I think... Well, I think it sort of boils down to it's it's less it's less customizable. Yes. It's, you know, for Pathfinder or Dungeons & Dragons, it's not that it's not customizable. You know, you can make fighters that are quite different in flavor and how they achieve their X number of damage. Definitely. But ultimately, it kind of wraps around to they still have this many attacks and they still do this kind of damage. Right. They have these. They have these skills that they focus on because they are this kind of fighter or this kind of yeah. fighter. They're just right. changing what weapon they use, what stat they focus on, strength or dex. And Whereas if you're dealing with the yeah. World of Darkness character like your vampire, you may spend your experience just bumping up social abilities or. You know, dump, bumping up uh, computer investigation skills, or maybe you're increasing their humanity rating or their blood pool. Like, they're not blood pool. Uh, I just lost all my credibility. But, um, I can totally you know what I mean? Going. It's like, it's more <laughs> customizable to give you the specific character you want that can right. be better. Whereas having a, a more milestone type system or a more um, less, a more streamlined system like your Pathfinders and D&Ds. There's a lot of flavor to be had in that, but less variety. It also variety versus flavor. I don't know what we're talking about here. But it also kind of uh, it also doesn't really reflect. It doesn't reflect the way characters say they grow into their power a lot of times, because a lot of times, even if you start at like a level one character, you've got the wizard who studied for years, but then over the course of a week. They gain uh, yes. five, 20 times as much power as they did in the 20 years they studied before then, right. which that doesn't make any sense. Yes, you grow in power when you are forced to use it more in creative mm -hmm. ways, but yeah. that much of a difference it's, it, yeah. is yeah. weird. And it, it, it can almost break a bit of the immersion. Immersion, yes. Whereas if you're in like a World of Darkness game, the way you're describing it at least, you could run into a few social encounters and conquer them, but realize, oh my gosh, I have this huge gap. I've never learned computers very well. And because it's yeah. something lower, it's easier for you to spend a little time, pick up that in in mechanics terms, boost that <laughs> skill. Got a correspondence course in computers in your downtime. Right. Whereas if you're an expert hacker already yeah. and you run into a better hacker it takes longer for you to acquire the skills to make that better. Yeah, yeah. Which is, yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot to be said for the way... Hey, I'm going to use the word that Marshmallow says I've used more in one episode than she's ever used, and she works in the... <laughs> it's it's about the ludonarrativity of the mechanics mm -hmm. as presented. Do they help reinforce the story as it is being told? And I think, yeah, in a lot of ways... The way you describe it, at least, World of Darkness does that better in some ways. Sure, just don't get into a fight. Right, just don't ever fight, and you're okay. <laughs> nope. It's a, it's a world of violence and death at every corner, but please try to avoid fights at all costs, because it will grind the game to a halt, most especially on play-by-post. It's it's like in uh, Beyond the Supernatural, which is what Mega Dumbcast is covering now. Sometimes, I love that game. Sometimes the... Uh, 
the the book will actually say you know x percent of people that of the population disappears every year due to xyz or no one actually believes that these supernatural abilities exist even though you as a player are perfectly capable of reproducing it every day like clockwork like why does this the whole masquerade class exist? of the, the whole <laughs> class of the nega psychic oh. and beyond the supernatural <laughs> someone who's a psychic powers are attuned to their disbelief in powers yeah. that they can negate magic. Dude, <laughs> you are literally fighting vampires and dipoks every uh-uh. two days, man. That's just a pale dude and he's going to get some more sun. That's just a pale dude with four <laughs> arms. You know, like, I, I get what they're going for, but <laughs> if it's going to be sustained for any length of time, you've got to open up your mind and just... Except that sometimes rifts between reality opens and ghosts will spill out. Yeah. That's, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. It's not anything else. Yeah. Well, and now that we've covered D10 systems exhaustively. Can... <laughs> <laughs> and only D10 systems because yeah. we stayed on point on we those rails, man. did not digress not at once. all. Not once. <laughs> but I think that covers it completely. And so it is time to segue into some of those weird things that we were talking about, like adventure, assemble! Assemble the adventure, don't leave it lying on the floor. That's all you got? <laughs> That's not that's not a lot to work with. I might have to no, try and well. I might have to try and link that to the last one and see if I can do something with it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so so last time we we found we a kingdom. What did we do? What we, did we, we fa- do last time? We found a kingdom anything. that borders a barren wetlands, what we call the poison marsh. Okay. And we we discovered right, right. that this marsh actually doesn't just isn't just poison. It's sort of like a radioactive in the comic book sense marsh and that it, it warps people right and our bandit crew that lives out there has been warped and Jurin leads the, the bandit bandits we, we we said he might be a former nobility something where he is fighting against an unjust law was thrown out gathered people around him that mm-hmm. were of a similar mind they sort of became part scorpion we called them scorpitars because <laughs> we're nothing if not creative. <laughs> and and Jurin unlocked some weird thing within him, and he, actually his bottom half became a hand. We called him a handitar. Yep. Yeah, I know I the made the reference. <laughs> I know I made the reference to the manual dexterities from Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol comics, but why? Do, why the hand? Where did that come from? Did we roll that? No, I think I think I was talking about one of the character ideas I was playing with, and. Yeah, we just, we, we just, we just kind lost of, all sense of restraint from we, there, and it became happened, half man, we, half hand. We happened to this idea, and it was like, oh, what if he's half man, half hand? And <laughs> it's then you a were dumb idea, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe you said he rides his own hand. I'm like, no, 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 he's half man, half hand, because you'd already you'd yeah. already decided that scorpitars had to be a thing. Sure. Well, I mean, reasonably looking at it, it's just come on. Half human or half humanoid, half scorpion. We've all seen the 90s Spider-Man cartoon. Scorpion is what we all aspire to be. I mean, it's it's a goal. (laughs) That is exactly how I imagine them all. (laughs) Just as men in green suits with a tail that shoots acid. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. 
But we also have Jurin has a white knight that protects him. And you were saying that he is a former agent of the government that turned against them and was exiled with the bandits at the same time. Yeah, yeah, because I think, yeah. And the hook, I think, with him, or with them, was that everyone else has been warped, but this person hasn't. They're just, they have, they are in white armor. They're always nearby. Like, even though everyone moves faster, he's always there. Okay. And that was one of those, I'm like, maybe we'll figure out why that is. Maybe we won't. Maybe we will. Maybe it's an elf in disguise (gasps) waiting to to assassinate him at the right time. Mm, But I also did, I, I did tell you before we started recording that i forgot that we have a random structure random thing to yeah. put in there as well that we forgot to roll last time so i need you to roll two d6 and give me each number individually all right give me one minute at my age Five. reaching Four. over for your dice can be a strenuous affair Let's take the gold die and the radioactive green die. So I'm going to roll them in my right hand. I've rolled them. I'll wait. (laughs) I got a three and a six. All right. So 36 puts us at... No, we're going to flip that because... Sure. I meant I got a six and a three? (laughs) Well, because it just says monster. Monster. I'm like, we've got that. (laughs) Yeah. What's not a monster at this okay. point? And 63 is town, so that was boring, and we've already got both those things. <gasps> All right. Monster town. <laughs> yes. Monster town. Oh my gosh. This is, this in our world, this is where mimics come from. This... <laughs> <laughs> the town itself is a monster. Right, right. This is, this is um, oh, what is that setting? The dragon mech setting okay. that Eli always talks about. He says there is a town that is all mimics. And okay. like, so the buildings, the tables, chairs, beds, and they just, they have an agreement with people that live there that, you know, okay. they won't be eaten because they all need to survive. And okay. I think for our setting, like, this is their defense mechanism. These are people that, for whatever reason, ended up in this poison marsh. Mm-hmm. And through circumstance, they became able to take one mundane shape. And they got together and made a town or a tavern or something. Okay. And... So when people come by, they just look like a ghost town. But if they come in, like either they can eat them or they can make deals with them to bring them food. I guess so, it yes. depends on the alignment of the uh, person that became a table, whether and they're a sinister great, table or a helpful table. Wouldn't it be great if our bandit crew used this as their home base? Hmm. I wonder if they're there peaceably or if they've subjugated them. I don't know. I do have a fantasy. I do have my random quest generator, though. Should we roll a die for a thing? We should. Let me... There we go. Roll a d10. I've got the purple one. I don't care about the color. It matters, because it affects the color of the number. Whoop. It fell off the table. That doesn't count. Six. Hmm. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That sounds like a positive sound. I'm happy with this elven lady... Elves. ...named Kundia? 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 C-U-N-D-I-A? Kundia. Sure. Sundia? Kundia? It had to be elves, didn't it? Seeks a company of blah, 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 to slay the beast of the shadowy moor and retrieve its teeth. (gasps) There we go. Okay, so the bandits are not in in the mimic town. The elven lady is sending the bandits to slay the mimic town. Because she wants, okay, so the elves have now, 
the elves the elves have heard of the mimic town and they want that power so that they would be able to study and adapt the shape-changing abilities for themselves because we've already established that they have spies and agents elsewhere mm-hmm. so elsewhere? now they want to now they want to develop the ability to shape-change their spies or to use it for intelligence or espionage purposes. I, w- I would think this is also a a multi-level thing that they're trying to accomplish. Not only do they want samples of these people who are all kind of transforming in a similar way out in this poison marsh, but they also need to kill these people before they become too much of a threat. Because just like Jurin was thrown out for fighting against unjust laws, perhaps these people were thrown out for similar reasons. And so they can't have people banding together. And so what better way to wipe out people that are banding together than to send one band against another? Yeah, turn them against each other before they oh. become a threat. Man, it, you know what? It's Those almost, elves, man. It's, it's like we, it's, <laughs> I swear, sometimes it feels like we've planned this ahead of time. <laughs> well, because we're professionals and we obviously are very creative and we work very hard on this podcast. So that's obvious. But no, the truth is we're just a bunch of we're just a bunch of hapless fools who have stumbled into something pretty <laughs> interesting here yeah I, I, this is this is interesting and it's an elf i was starting to wonder like because i think an elf needs to appear in all they've, our stories now. they've been persistent villains for most of the adventure right and that was totally by accident and i was like oh we've got this person who never shows their face maybe they'll be the elf yeah. but then we, we randomly roll <laughs> I mean, get, it's not to say that person is not an elf. We don't know yet. Right. Oh, yeah. No, no. Wouldn't that be cool if it turns out they're an elf who despises what their brethren are doing? It's it's our very own Dritz, only instead of being <laughs> a dark elf, it's a white-armored elf. Yeah. <laughs> he, well, uses, wait, he uses where... one giant weapon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He has three scimitars. <laughs> no, he so, has eight. Like in the where like in is, Naruto. <laughs> where is Kundia? She's not in the she's not in the, the mimic town. She's elsewhere. Is she yeah. also in the poison marsh? Is she been sent as an envoy or emissary to the bandits? You know, we, we don't have that detail, but I would guess that she because of the way we're we're kind of angling this, that they're pitting people against each other, I would guess she's from the town that Jurin is from. So she comes to him, you know, apologizing saying, you know, hey, this I know this is this is wrong and I, I, I hate what it's done to you, but there is a chance for you to use it for good. There there is a threat to the city and and we need we need to kill it and we need to study it so that we can reverse what's been done to you. There they are they are tricky people and you and she doesn't tell him it's a town of mimics. She right, knows right. this, of course. But she yeah. tells him it's a town full of monsters. So that way he goes in hostile yep. They when will they attack. find the mimics, they'll instantly attack him. Exactly, exactly. And it kind of echoes the the elves trying to turn the dwarves against the nymphs on that island where Edric's wife now lives. That's right. So they've been they've been politically scheming in that regard. They were trying to steal technology from the Seawalks and these elves. and from the and from the, uh, the 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 fallen star satellite. Yep. Right. And they so, they put Gothmog. On the path towards the the poppy town, because they're probably trying to control the poppy production. Wow, what yeah. are these elves up to? This is, I mean, <laughs> political manipulations, uh, stealing of technologies and magics, uh, oh, yeah. using raiders to control the drug trade. This is this 
this is a bit of everything that's come before at this point because hmm. we've got a bit of turning groups against each other that should maybe not have issues with each other. Right. We've got a bit of political discourse. We've got a bit of controlling population. We've got a bit of taking technology. We've got a bit of everything in this. Yeah. And it's only in looking back that I realize we've got all these pieces here. <laughs> wow. We are, man, that we are crazy. good. It's just, we are so it good comes at this. to us intuitively, like we, instinct. Yeah. It's, yeah. For sure. Man. We, we really do need to flesh this world out. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious what the other races think of the elves. Are they aware of all the stuff the elves are doing, or is it still uh, is it still not believed by you know like we know the dwarves in that one island and the nymphs there would obviously know what the elves they would have figured out what the elves are up to, but would they know it's the elves as a whole, or do they think it's just one rogue agent? Hmm. I don't know. There's a there's a lot to figure out with these elves here alone. Well, let and alone even the in, even in the, the even on that island, mm-hmm. it was an elf working with with Edric the Bard, so. Maybe yeah. that was quote unquote Edric's plan the whole time. That was how they left it. So, oh yeah, I don't right. know. So they're making other people the fall guy, making they... Edric specifically the fall guy for a number. There, <laughs> he's going to have a lot of explaining to do. I think at one point. <laughs> I I am I am excited to see how this all works out. We are only on the second week of all this. We got one more. We've got the random twist still next time. <laughs> the twist, yes. Yeah, yeah. This is none of this has been the random part yet. <laughs> no, this this has all been uh, pretty straightforward stuff so far. This is just adding layers, layers. But we will we will see. What yeah. that is like when we get there. Anything else you'd like to add, King Monkey? No. Specifically, I would like to add nothing. Okay. Well, next week is D6 Systems, mm. and you know what that means. Nope. D6s. Yeah, you, like six-sided dice. You suggested what... You said the big system we should do that everyone knows. Right. West End Games' old Star Wars ro- role-playing game. You're, are you changing the system on me? I, you told me you wanted a different system. Are you, do you not want that system anymore? I can't think of any other systems that use D6s off the top of my head, actually. I may have forgotten if there was some moderately popular system that, you know, is not really you know, interesting to, to, to learn. But I'm, well, I'm pretty sure it was I don't Star, know the system personally, Star Wars system. but you said you wanted to do, <laughs> to do Tune. Well, yeah, okay. You have to... Tune is a pretty great game. Pretty great game. I don't think of it as a mere D six system, though. It um, really is so much more. It's well, a it's story of expansive, creative storytelling. Uh, a story that has almost musical quality to it. Right. Yeah, but between no, Star Wars and Tune, the only D six games that are are big enough can't to think warrant of talking yeah. about. No. Uh, we'll we'll figure it out, I guess. Yeah. But until then, right on. I've been I've been Simmy. Yes, very. Well. <laughs> yeah. I've been I don't know someone. if you forgot who you were for a moment, or if you just <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I something. I didn't get to do a room. recording of cinematic sagas this week because this really is me mentioning so many other podcasts. I might as well mention my own. <laughs> there are only so many podcasts that you can mention during a one-hour period. That sounds like a challenge, and I think I'll have to do even more next time. But. <laughs> I didn't get to record Cinematic Sagas this week, which mm. bummed me out. So I didn't get to say, my name is Chris, like I do on that. 
So I was right. like, my name is... <laughs> my name is... I guess just Simmy. <laughs> my name is... My name is... Wicka Wicka Sit Slimmy. Slimmy? Slow Slimmy? I like it. Slow Slimmy? Hey, this is my friend Slow Slimmy. And this is my drunk friend, King Monkey. It's not far. Not far from the truth. Hey, you know what you didn't do this time? Oh, I did it. I did it right off the beginning. Yep. Yep. Nope. We got that noise reduction issue where you're not hearing it, but trust me. Sure. You're going to look back on the recording and you're going to be like, oh, he didn't. He did. Sure you did. And you know what? No one will ever know if you actually did or not. Sure. I mean, you could edit it out. I could look like a liar. Yeah. We don't know. Yep. But until then, we done. We done. You done. Goodbye. Go away. Guess who's back? Back Back again. again. If I knock an empty cup, it start to not to start to wiggle. I, I'm like, yeah. oh no, <laughs> this is the end. <laughs> Stay. And then I grab it. I'm like, oh, that's right. It was empty.